Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. And listen, today, I really believe this is a message for this hour for that, that we're in, that um, we may feel like, wow, we don't even know what the future holds as we sit in 2020. And what it will look like in 2021 if the Lord gives us that, for sure. And there's so much that we realize that is unnerving, so much unknown, so much unchartered, and so much unseen. And we can get very focused on those things, but I just want to encourage you, we take a step back today and realize how sovereign our God is. Now, that big word, sovereign, means that God really is in ultimate power and in control. Do you believe that we serve a God who's ultimately in power and control? I do, and that's the message today. God is in control, and we can be confident that every seat of power and every realm of government, principality, and authority, it all exists through God and for His purpose. And I'm saying this because I've mentioned it before, and you've heard me mention it throughout the years here, that no matter who the president is, I will continue to pray for our president, whoever it is. Now, I've prayed for our previous presidents, every single one of them have come through, and will continue to do that because God has called us to do that as a body of believers. Can I hear an amen? amen. That's for sure. God is in control. And I want to talk to you today about how we serve a God who is in control. John chapter 19, John chapter 20. You know, one of the great truths of Scripture is that's an anchor for all of us is the fact that our God is in heaven and is in control and nothing is too difficult and nothing catches Him by surprise ever. Nothing is random with God. You think, well, in my life, well, it is random. But I'll let me tell you something. With God, nothing is random. From his view, it all makes sense. The Bible tells us that God is the absolute ruler and authority over everything. God is over nature because he created it and he sustains it. He overrules it when he wants to with a miracle. God is in control over history. It's moving toward a plan, progress, and a climax. God is in control. There are many factors which you and I have absolutely no control over. You know, sometimes we think, well, because I have a smartphone in my hand, I'm absolutely in control of my destiny, right? I can push a button. But sometimes that's a fake facade in our lives, the many things that we think we're in control of. But we are in control of some things. I want you to understand that. But I want you to understand, you didn't decide where you were born, did you? where uh, the things that took place in your life, uh, what natural temperaments you were going to have, what talents you were given. There are many things that are out of our control, but they are not out of God's control ever, no matter what it looks like. From our perspective today, our God rules and our God reigns, and He is at work whether we see Him working or not. And I want you, just as you look at this year, for instance, you think, wow, in the midst of the unknown, God is still in control and God is still working for our good. If you believe that, say amen. Because the psalmist said in 37 verse 23, the Lord directs the steps of the godly and he delights in every detail of their lives. So listen, if you're a follower of Christ today, God is directing your steps at this moment. 
God is in control, and he delights in every detail of your life today. Isn't that a great thing to know? That as we are godly and we are serving the Lord, that he is directing every step we will take. That God's care is really not dependent on what we can or cannot understand, and his working is not limited to what we can or cannot see. He's working his power. He's working his grace. And he loves to work in the smallest, most minute detail of our life today. As we come to John chapter 19, we will see the sovereignty, sovereignty and the control of God in a time which the disciples' lives were absolutely turned upside down, that they thought, oh, God is dead forever. Their dreams were crushed. And in that moment, God is still working. And I want you to see this. I want you and I encourage you today to really look at this scripture that it would encourage you in three areas. First of all, I want you to see that Jesus controlled his death. He controlled the moment of it. He controlled the circumstances even around it. Not only was he in the moment, but he was controlling the details that were around it because Chapter 19 and verse 30 says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, we talked about that last week, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. At that moment, he controls his death. He even said in John chapter 10 that we looked at weeks back, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it back up again. No one, he said, takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord, of my own doing. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it back up again. This charge, he says, I have received from my Father. My Father in heaven has given me the authority to do this. You know, the Romans didn't take his life from him. The Jewish leaders did not take his life from him. He laid it down himself. No one in the history of humanity is able to lay down their life and also raise themselves back to life again, are they? But Jesus did. And Jesus controlled the giving of his life, and he controlled the resurrecting of his life. Isn't that amazing today? So true. Many people maybe can control the minute that they die the issue is, can you control the moment and the minute of your resurrection? And we cannot. Because Jesus did do it, though, we know that it is a mark of his sovereignty and his absolute control. You know, the Roman soldiers, they broke the legs of the other two men on either side of Jesus on the cross. The man on the right and the man on the left, the criminals. They broke their legs to expedite their death, right? because they needed their legs to try to get a breath when they were down to rise up to fill their lungs with air. And you see that inside of Scripture, their legs were broken so that they would die so much quicker. We know that Jesus' legs were not broken because Scripture says this because he is absolutely in control. He is controlling their actions. He's controlling the perceptions of the situation. Verse 36, for these things took place that Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken, the Bible says. Exodus chapter 12, Numbers chapter 9 says, you were not supposed to break the Passover lamb's bones. 
Jesus is our Passover lamb, and he is the fulfillment of the Passover. If you believe that, say amen. Because the psalmist said in 34 verse 20, not one of Jesus' bones is broken. It tells us that. Prophecy, you go back, you go back and look at the uh, books in the Old Testament. It tells us that the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, his bones will not be broken. The soldiers, though, they are not taking a chance. He's dead. So one of the soldiers took a spear and pierced his side, the Bible says, and there came out blood and water. Medically, there's a variety of opinions on this, but his heart muscle just totally ruptures. That literally you could say that Jesus died of a broken heart over your sin, my sin, and he took the punishment for sin on his behalf. Where do we see this? Psalm 69 verses 20 and 21 says, Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. The picture of the crucifixion and an insight that inside of this, that we serve a God today that is absolutely in control. Verse 35, he who saw it has bore witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you and I might also believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. We are getting an eyewitness account from John, the disciple of Jesus. John is taking notes on this. His testimony is true. He's telling the truth that you and I might also believe in Jesus. Jesus has amazing control over his crucifixion. You know, when whatever we read in Scripture, I want you to know today is an indicator of what God is doing in your life and my life this morning. That, that even when it seems death has set in, and even when it seems that the world has really spun out of control, that God is ultimately in control this morning. And he's working together all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Can I hear a big amen this morning? Amen? that he delights in the steps of a righteous person, that every detail of your life today is ordered, and God is directing, and God is superintending, and God is going before you and me today. So that when you walk with God, and when you live for God, you can have this confidence, even when you can't understand all that is going on, that God is still in control and God is still at work today in the earth. There's a second thing I want you to notice inside of this passage. Jesus is not only control, in control during his death, number two, he is in control in his burial. This is fascinating. Verse 38, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea... We know that Joseph is wealthy. He's one of the members of the Sanhedrin, and he has influence in the society of his day. We know this. He was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, the Bible says, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away Jesus' body. We know that, that Joseph of Arimathea is a wealthy man and one of the members of the Sanhedrin, and he has influence in the society of his day and in that moment. Typically, in that day, the family would be the only ones who would get the rights to the criminal's body off of the cross. 
But since in this you have a criminal's death, Rome wanted to make sure so that they would leave the body on the cross for weeks so people would walk by and see the body. Someone in that day would have been crucified close to the ground and right on a major thoroughfare and not on a hill far away that we sing about. Rome never crucified somebody on a hill far away. They wanted a criminal to be as close to the ground as possible so that when they were crucified, men and women walking by would look at them dead in the eye and see that person that is dead and has been crucified because Rome's job was to strike as much fear into the heart and the mind of people. They wanted maximum impact when people walked by, and their statement was Rome would let the corpse rot, they, they would let the vultures come, they would let the dogs come and eat of the flesh, their body would be stripped naked, their feet about a foot off the ground, people would walk by and taunt them and spit on them and urinate on the bodies. Then when they would remove the corpse, they would take it to the edge of the city and burn the body in the valley of Gehenna, which is a trash dump, so no one could find them or remember them anymore. When Joseph of Arimathea says, I'm going to get his body, this is something that is not done, understand. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 9, the prophet Isaiah says, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Oh, so he's going to be viewed as a wicked person, but he's going to be buried like a rich man but he is going to be crucified. How could God bring all of this together? How could he bring it all together because God is absolutely in control? How can God prophesy seven centuries beforehand? It's because God is in control and, and Jesus is in control of his burial. The disciples at this point have all left. They, they've split. None of them have the means necessary to bury Jesus like a rich man. None of them do. They're not from Jerusalem. They're not going to have a burial plot. They don't even live in Jerusalem. And he's going to be in the grave three days. All of it's going to be fulfilled just like God's word said it would. I hope that you're going to get encouragement today to know that God's word is true. And God is sovereignly in control of your life and mine today. Think about this. Joseph's going to ask Pilate for permission to have the body. Who's Pilate mad at at the first place? We talked about this a few weeks ago. It's because he didn't want Jesus crucified, but we know he's mad at the Jewish leadership. It's the Sanhedrin. It's what Joseph of Arimathea is a part about. Joseph is a member of that. Only one person in Jerusalem is going to pull this thing off. Joseph, we understand, is going to come, and we know that God is in control. Do you know that God is able to work out all things together for your good and that he is doing it at this moment, at this time, while you're sitting here in this service, that God is working out a perfect plan for your life and mine. You know, that God can control the good and the bad days of your life and he's able to do it perfectly. Well, you might say, well, if he can, then why doesn't he? Well, he is. 
that you might not believe that, but you have to think about Peter and you think about John, these disciples that were seeing Jesus and watching them go through this. They have this exact same thinking maybe you have. Maybe I have today that, God, I don't even see you. I don't even know what is going on. This is crazy. This world's upside down. They're having the same questions because they're going through circumstances that are just amazing. If that's where you're at today, you have to understand and take heart from this passage that God is in control even when you can't see it. He is working for your good today and my good. He's working for your good and his glory. I'm going to say that again. God is working for your good today in his glory. Amen. I'm going to say it again today because I don't think you heard me. That God is working for your good today and for his glory every day of the week. Amen. Because God's got your best interests at heart. And I don't even have to doubt that because I read it inside of scripture. There's another figure that shows back up again here in John chapter 20. And we see it inside of this in verse 39. It's Nicodemus. We remember Nicodemus way back in John chapter 3 that he shows back up on the scene. And remember John chapter 3, Nicodemus, Jesus says, you must be born again. Listen, all of your moral superiority is not going to save you, Nicodemus. You have the Old Testament memorized, but that will not save your soul. You're at the temple all the time, Nicodemus, but that is not going to save you. You must be born again. That in verse 39, Nicodemus also, who had earlier come to Jesus at night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes. The Bible says about 75 pounds in weight. Listen, they are not embalming Jesus. They are anointing Jesus. Can you imagine 75 pounds of oil, oil and a mixture of spices? This is a royal burial. Here's what you have to understand. This is them saying, you weren't treated like a king in life or in death, but you will be treated like a king in your burial. Verse 40. So they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he is crucified, there was a garden. Wait, there's a garden? Yes. The rich had a garden to grow their fruits and vegetables, and there's a tomb there. It's a new tomb. Rome said, watch what we will do. We're going to turn this place into a burial site because they are infuriated with Jewish nobility. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid. What are the odds of this? God is in control. They have three hours. They have three hours. You understand? Three hours to make this happen. Now, this is incredible. You think, well, well that can happen. Well, you don't understand all that's going on. I encourage you to study this, this at some time in your life, that you look, all that had to take place from the moment that Jesus is taken off the cross, they, get, they have to go through the bureaucratic red tape to take him off of the cross. They just didn't take somebody off the cross. There's bureaucratic red tape when some, they take somebody off that they're... They're there dealing, there's shenanigans that are happening. There's, there's a price Rome wants for the body and all of these things and the deception that is going on, the deceitfulness that is happening through the Roman guards and the soldiers and the government of that day. But they are getting Jesus' body ready for burial. In verse 42, so because of the Jewish day of preparation, since its tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. He controls the events of his death he controls the events of his burial. And number three, he controls the events surrounding his resurrection. He said, I have authority to lay down my life. Nobody can do that. I'm able to take my life back up again. I have authority to pick it up again. It's, we see Jesus is in absolute control. 
I want you to look in Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 6, because this is this same portion of Scripture that Matthew treats a little bit differently. We get a few more details, and it says in verse 1, After the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And it says there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook, and they became like dead men. They're they're, they're on the ground. They became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Can you imagine this scene with me for a a moment? The guards have more confidence in Jesus' words than his disciples did. I want you to think about that, church. The guards, the Romans, the secular, the sinner had more confidence in Jesus' words than his disciples did. They heard Jesus say, hey, He's going to be raised from the dead. And I just wonder in the world we live in, sometimes I think the world believes more in the words of Jesus than sometimes people in the church believe in the words of Jesus. Are you with me today? Are you with me, church? And so you see this in this passage that the soldiers are saying, hey, man, he said he's coming back. And his disciples, if they come and steal his body, we're going to have a huge mess here. Everybody's going to be talking about it. He's going to be raised from the dead. So give us some soldiers so that we can station them around the tomb. And all of a sudden, an angel, when this angel touches down on the earth, it sets off an earthquake. It's that powerful. When the soldiers see it, they pass out because they are absolutely terrified. The angel moves the stone, which they tell us in that day was anywhere from one to two tons of a stone. And and there the angel sat on it. But the angel tells the women, don't be afraid. He, he, you got to understand this. He opened the tomb not to let Jesus out, but to let the world in to see that he is our risen Savior and Lord. That he is not dead. He's alive. Amen? Uh, you know what I think is so great today? That we get to be together on, in, in, in April We couldn't be together in person, right, for Easter. But today really is about resurrection and resurrection Sunday as it is every day of the week. So you and I get to be together, for those of you that are in person today, to celebrate our risen Lord. Amen? Together, lifting up that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. We see John doesn't tell this portion in as much dramatic way as Matthew 28. Have you ever had a moment in your life and the adrenaline was like rushing through your body? I mean, something took place. Maybe you were in a car accident. Maybe something happened to your child. You saw something. You ran. You ran to help somebody. You saw somebody else in a car accident. You ran. Your adrenaline, your heart was pumping. You know what they call this? Inside of this passage, what you're going to see is perceptual distortion. It what takes place after your body is so amped up, you don't immediately remember what took place during the adrenaline rush. You ever had one of those moments? Like you went through it and then you're like, whoa, it took you some time to calm down and think about the events like, whoa, what really happened? You know, we kind of get our bearings and we think it through and we say, wow, 
That's what happened. But in that moment, your adrenaline is so amped up. Here's Mary, and she just witnessed an angel, and she just watched the soldiers pass out. And you have this angel tell this to you. You, you know you love Jesus, and you know the tomb is empty, and you're going to run back and say all kinds of things. You're going to leave all kinds of things out. That In that moment, your ability to tell the story and get everything right that happened, sometimes that's just not humanly possible, which speaks to the accuracy of Scripture and God's Word. You know, you see Peter in this, man, he's going berserk too. Now, Peter, you understand, is kind of one of those ready, fire, aim kind of guys. He's not like aim, you know, let's get ready, aim. He's like fire, boom, you know, this is the type of guy he's going to take off and he's going to go see for himself and he's going to run to the tomb and the scripture tells us and, and see, you know, Mary, are you telling the truth that, that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. And John's like, hey, if he's going, I'm going. And so they're both running. They're taking off running uh, to the tomb. And, and, and Peter and John, they're running together. And the Bible says that John outruns Peter. I mean, have you ever had one of those moments that you're so amped that you outran the person next to you? This is what took place in that moment. This is John, one, the one who runs the 100 meters a whole lot quicker than Peter, right? They get to the tomb and the linen is there. It's wrapped in, in a spiral fashion, and the head cloth is neatly folded, the Bible says. Verse 7, he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Interesting, Jesus takes time as he is resurrected to kind of tidy up things a little bit, if you will. It's a good word for all the teenagers who wake up and you don't make your bed. Jesus, come on, he got up and took care of business. How many think that's important? How many of your parents think it's important for your kids to wake up and make their bed in the morning, right? How many of your wives wish your, yeah, husband did that as well, right? Even Jesus made his bed. Verses 8 through 10, then the other disciple had reached the tomb first, also went in and saw and believed. They were suddenly in a place where they were accepting what had happened. They didn't have all the information, but their heart was open to God. And they were acting on what they saw, even in their limited understanding. As we bring this to conclusion today, here are three practical ways God's control impacts three areas of our life. It impacts more, but I only have time for three. Number one, because God is in control, my plans and your plans have a limit. You ever realize that? You ever heard somebody say, the sky is the limit? No, it's not. God is the limit. How many of you are with me today? God is the limit. He determines and he offers us great promises as we're walking through life. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. You and I have plans, but how many of you know that God's promises prevail up and above the plans that we have in our heart? Amen? Thank the Lord. How many of you did not marry the first person you thought you were going to marry? I mean, how many of you, you know, you didn't marry the first person you thought you were going to? Okay, there's some, some hands that are here. Some of you are afraid to put it up. And, and, uh, but uh, <laughs> how many of you that God changes our plan? Because God is in control, and my plans and your plans are limited. Now, now, you know, what I'm not saying is if you did marry the first person that you were wrong, you know, don't walk out of here and say, well, Pastor John's, no, 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 I did not say that. Don't tell that to your spouse when you go home. 
How many of you know that mature faith is flexible faith? No, come on now. Come on. Well, no, my mature faith says it has to happen this way, and if it doesn't happen this way, then that's all wrong. No, mature faith is flexible faith. Men and women of God in the Old and the New Testament that, that were mature in faith, they had flexible faith. That God, you are in control ultimately. I make my plans, but God, your promises prevail, right? That's so true that God has the final word. The right attitude is, God, I will cooperate with your promises. Number two, my problems and your problems have a purpose. First Peter chapter 1, 6 through 7, you say, really? Yeah. At present, he says, you may be temporarily harassed by all kinds of trials. How many of you can say today you're being harassed by all kinds of trials? Thank you for two hands of honest people. Yes, thank you. I see that. See, I see that online, Clearbrook. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like I'm talking here and people just... I just wonder, you know, just, just wonder. At present, he says, you may be temporarily harassed by all kinds of trials. This is no accident. You're, this is not an accident. It happens to prove your faith, which is infinitely more valuable than gold. Now, let me tell you something today. Life is not a series of freaks, freak accidents. A lot of people live that way. Well, my life is just one freaky accident after another. Now, let me tell you something. There is an order. There is a plan. And I'm going to tell you something today. God knows what's going on. And he has it all under control. I'm going to let you know something today. God is in heaven, and he doesn't have anxiety. God is in heaven, and he is not biting his fingernails like some of you are. You're just gnawing on your fingernails. I see some of you come in. You're just gnawing. Just, I mean, you know, when I was growing up, I just used to gnaw my fingernails. My mother would be like, quit chewing your fingernails. It was because of my nerves. My anxiety was like freaked out about stuff, right? We do that. We don't serve an anxious God today. And that's what he's trying to tell us as a church. That's what he's saying to us, body, the worldwide, the body of Christ. Don't be nervous. Don't be anxious. I am in control of what is going on, and I have a perfect plan. He said, my plan will prevail, and my promises are true, and it will come to be. God is ultimately in control of our lives. God does not cause sin. I, can, I know the questions that populate in our mind. God does not cause cancer. Jesus heals cancer. Jesus forgives my sin. Does God permit these things to happen? Well, yeah. It happened to come about because God wants to prove our faith, which is infinitely more valuable than gold. God does not cause evil. God does not cause suffering, but He does allow them because my problems and your problems have a purpose, and He will use them for His glory. God is an expert in bringing good out of bad. You know, if we look at Scripture, that's really proven to be true. So I'm just not talking about something that's on the surface here and not deep, because you look in the Old Testament, God could have kept Daniel out of the lion's den, couldn't he? Oh, yeah, he's in control. 
few decisions from this person, few decisions from that person. No, he's not going to the lion's den. But he did. Instead, he shut the lion's mouth. He could have kept Paul out of the prison in Philippi, but he let him go, and the jailer became a believer in Christ. God has a plan in the midst of suffering, midst of trials. God could have kept Jesus from the cross. Oh, yeah, but he let him go. Now, this is personal because this is his own son. And he let him go, and he let him suffer and die. Did he, did he bring any good of that? Oh, yeah, I would say so. Because why? Because God loves to turn crucifixions into resurrections. Amen? He loves to turn graves into gardens that we... I, I hope when you're singing that song, because we're going to sing it just a moment, I hope that you really believe that. He turns the graves into gardens, right? There's resurrection power and truth in that because he is in control, and he wants to use your problem and my problem, for our good in life. And then third, my prayers and your prayers have an impact. I don't want you to miss that. Your prayers and my prayers have an impact, so I hope you haven't stopped praying because our prayers are our dependence upon God who is in control. I always think about this. If I'm not praying, that means I'm trying to get myself out of my own mess, right? I'm expecting myself to show up and just manipulate all these things and try to say, well, I'm in control. Prayer is our dependence upon God, amen? That, God, you're able to get me out of this. Yes, our our choices have consequences. I I believe in that. I know that. But prayers are dependence on God. God, you're in control, so I'm going to pray to you. The fact is, prayer does work. Can I hear an Amen. Why does it work? Because God is in control. If God were not sovereign, prayer would be a waste of time. Prayer can do whatever God can do. Amen? Prayer can do whatever God can do. His resources are unlimited in our lives, and they are available to you and to me today. 21 times in the New Testament, Scripture says, ask. 21 times, ask, pray. Ask the Father today. Ask Him. Ask Him. Ask Him. Ask Him for the things that you've been wondering about. Well, God, I'm not sure. Well, ask Him. It's not going to hurt to ask. But yeah, we're called to align our prayers with His Word. And when we do that, that's a powerful combination as we come in and believe that God is ultimately in control and He can do it. The encouraging thing is that the things are out of my control and your control and not out of God's control today. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 tells us that. God is able to do far more than we could ever dare to ask or even dream of infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or even our hopes. But I want you to rest in this fact today, church, wherever you're at here, Stephen City, Clearbrook, or online, I want you to rest in the fact that God knows what's best for your life. Doesn't he? My God has never failed me once. How about you? Come on, if you were to look back, if you were to rewind today, if you were to look back, God has not failed you. Yes, my plans didn't always work out, but his promises prevailed in spite of it because I couldn't see what he sees. And I have limited understanding, and so do you. So as we come today with a world that is upside down, it really is. I'm not here to build fear or doomsday, whatever it may be. But, but I'm here to tell you that we have a God that is absolutely in control of every minute detail, even of your life and mine today. The details in your heart today that you only know about, 
God cares and God is there and he is in control and he is working and he is on the throne and he is praying for us today. Wow. I don't know about you, but this story encourages my spirit today. Because it is rich with the prophecies of the Old and the New Testament. Amen. That God is speaking to his church in this hour. God is able. So here's a huge part of the takeaway today. What do you believe this morning? To the believer that knows Christ, what do you believe? Well, the life's taking you down a turn, down a road you didn't anticipate and you surely didn't desire. You might be saying, well, my life doesn't look like God's in control, and I don't even get it today. It's fair enough. It might be hard to listen to this, and it might be hard to reconcile all that I'm saying, but truly believing God is in control, whether you see it or not, for the person in the room today, the sound of my voice online, or wherever you are at today, that you're looking at your marriage, you're looking at your relationship, and you say, I've done all that I know how to do. Would you come today and would you trust in the sovereign hand of God that he is able to make a way where there seems to be no way? Well, John, I don't even know about my job. I'm not even sure when I walk into work on Monday morning or Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening whether I'm going to have a job. I'm not sure. I've done everything I know how to do. I've been integrous. I've come with the right heart and passion and motivation but I'm just not sure. Can you today pray by faith in the sovereignty of God that he is in control? Can you? To the son or the daughter that is away from the Lord today, God, you're saying, you know what? Yeah, I didn't do everything right in in, in raising them, rearing them, and bringing them up in my home, but you know what? We lived a godly life, and they serve the Lord. Now they're away from the Lord. Today, I'm speaking to the prodigal in the room. I'm speaking to the prodigal. I'm speaking to the prodigal today. That's away from the Lord. To know that God is in control of your life today, even when things have spun out of control. That God is able to bring the prodigal home to the Father again. Home to you moms that have been waiting with open arms for that lost son or daughter to return. God is in control today. The life of faith is going without knowing. Do you believe even when you can't understand him? Do you believe God even when you can't even touch him today? Do you believe in him? Are you willing to accept that maybe your understanding and my understanding is limited this side of heaven? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But do you believe that he is working for your good? Yeah. As I look into your eyes today, as I look and see people, every person here represents a precious, precious child of God today that is going through something. And I want you to know that God has not forgotten you and that he's in control of your life. That's the promise to the godly person. 
God says, I'm absolutely in control. I'm in control of this entire universe. And I have a plan and I have a purpose. And I am working it out. And it is going to be great. Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for your word today that is anointed. The word of Scripture. The word of the Lord that has never failed us once. That your word is true and your word is accurate, even when I don't understand it all. Even though people in the sound of my voice today that are going through something that seems like their world is never going to come back to normal. Father, that we can come and rest in the assurance of who you are today as our Father, even as the prodigal, that is lost in his way, comes back, that the, the Father is waiting with arms open wide, ready to receive us back that cares about every detail. That we live a life of faith that's going without knowing in a life of following without always understanding. Today, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, you're your home, wherever you may be, Clearbrook Campus here at Stephen City, if you have sensed God speak something to you, whatever it is, speak something just to make this word so real in your heart. Can I just see your hand? Just something, just something. You grabbed onto something. You grabbed onto something today that God spoke to your heart. Take that word with you. In Jesus' name, we pray, Lord. That our confidence is inside of your name. Do we give you all the glory that you're working it all out for our good in your glory, in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Come on. Can you give the Lord thanks that he's working it out today? Amen. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.